0: You're listening to the Cycling Podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. This is the Cycling Podcast Femina at the Women's Tour. Today, we're in Southend-on-Sea. So uh, the race right situation at the moment is they head to you here with uh, 79 kilometers completed of the 170 kilometer stage. Our lone leader who went uh, clear just about um, uh, 20 minutes ago now has an advantage currently of 35 seconds. Uh, she's losing a little bit of ground to the main field. We're giving chase. It's Lourdes Ayabide of the team of Movistar. She started the day in the uh, 25th place of 3 minutes and 1 second off the race lead. So her uh, current advantage, no threat to the overall race leader, Jenny Boring.
1: I was like so determined to get in the breakaway. I must have like tried about 20 or 30 times, but it wasn't to be. They were literally chasing down everything.
2: Well, we just heard there Sophie Wright of LA BTC Ljubljana. Obviously, a, a frustrating and hectic day for her. Frustrating and hectic day for me, actually, but we'll, we'll get on to more of that later. Um, I'm joined by less frustrated and hectic
1: fied. Uh, co hosts Lizzie Banks I had a wonderful day hello Rose, <laughs> I'm sorry that you didn't but I had a brilliant day <laughs> and
2: and Lionel Burney. and Lionel before you say anything I'm going to do it, I'm going to fall into that cycling podcast trope and say where are we Lionel?
3: Well Rose, we're on the seafront in South End on Sea seagulls overhead uh, sounding slightly menacing um, mm. I don't know whether that's being picked up on our mics but a very loud and aggressive seagull um but we are at rossi's ice cream parlor more of that a little bit later when we find out a bit more about south end on sea
2: well i said uh, it's been a hectic and frustrating uh, day for me but you, you you seem to you signed up for a casino today lionel yeah so I I've,
3: mean... I've accidentally enrolled in a casino i'm now a member of the genting casino just over the road from here because that's where the mini media center was for the women's tour today and uh, I needed to go to the toilet and they made me sign up as a full member <laughs> um, Lizzie gave up at that point uh, but I'm now a member of the casino I'm going to bet everything on red this evening I think um, so yeah there was a little story about that because the women's tour organisers have obviously hired the space so that the media team and the press and photographers would be able to go in there and as the race got Closer, and they started talking about the logistics. The casino organisers got very nervous about the possibility that there might be so many cameras from the, you know, the photographers taking in there. Obviously, photographing in a casino is a big no-no, isn't it? You know, all the trade, all the trade secrets. You know, where where the where the chips are kept, and you know where the money comes from in the underground vault. I imagine. I don't know, but yeah, no uh, cameras were all in a sort of little segregated area.
2: Oh, wow. Well, well, it was a bit of a, a sure bet uh, win today, but Lionel, you're going to tell us, I would say call it the story of the stage, but you've been actually every day calling it your bit of mince. So well, let's have, let's sink old, our teeth into Lionel's mince.
3: An old um, newspaper term, really. Every bit of copy written for a newspaper uh, is referred to by somebody in the sub-editing department as mints so have you finished that mince yet so here's the story of the stage or the shoe to south end on sea mints uh, <laughs> 117.8 kilometers into the essex countryside in a not quite figure of eight was it but they had to go right round the river to get into the um the, the northern part of essex and at the finish here in south end on sea right next to the beach although the tide was in wasn't it by the time the race mm. finished it was a sprint finish and a stage win for Lorena Vibus of Team DSM. Earlier in the stage, Yannicka Ensing of Team Bike Exchange was one of the first to attack. She went before the first intermediate sprint and actually took that sprint and then Leah Kirchman was second there so uh, she has jumped above Joss Loudon into sixth place overall because of that two second time bonus. That's the only change to the top 10 on GC. Perhaps ominously, Lorena Vibas was third in that sprint. The next to attack and the most sustained move of the day was from Spain's Lourdes Ollavide of Movistar. There was a period where Anna Christian was trying to go across on her own, but didn't make it. Oyavide's maximum lead over the bunch was just over a minute with about 50 kilometers to go, but she was reeled in before the second intermediate sprint, which was won by Lorena Vibas, foreshadowing the finish. There was one Queen of the Mountains climb coming at Hambro Hill with just 7.8 kilometers to go. Big crowds there and on the run into South End. It was Elise Shabby who has stretched her lead in the green jersey competition to seven points over Demi Vollering, who won that Queen of the Mountains sprint. And then came the hectic run into the finish, There was a crash or possibly two uh, conflicting reports from the riders that we've spoken to, a fast downhill section two kilometers out and the sprint was won by the Dutch woman, Lorena Rebus, who came from behind Chiara Consoni of Valcar Travel and Service. She was second. And Chloe Hosking, who was second in Banbury on the opening day, was third. Sheila Gutierrez of Movistar was fourth, and that's given her the lead in the points competition. Demi Vollering, of course, keeps the overall race lead and the full one minute and nine second advantage over Juliette Labou that she had at the start of the day. But it was Lorena Vibus' day. Uh, remember she lost almost four minutes on the first stage, but then won the bunch sprint for 11th into Warsaw a couple of days ago. So she's clearly getting better as the race goes on. And Lizzie Banks was there right on the finish line to speak to today's winner.
1: Um, I was just following the wheels, played the game a bit. And at the end, I followed the lead out of Valkar and it was a crazy final. But I'm happy to take this win. Now, what happened then before the, the final straight then? Uh, it was total chaos with all the road splits and uh, you really have to to find a way and it worked out good
0: still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter never again optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data actionable insights and personalized analytics We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success
3: thank you very much to super sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast and helping us to be here on the women's tour find out more about super sapiens at supersapiens.com now it's time for lizzie's recon and lizzie headed off into the essex countryside simon gill the photographer and i were out there on sort of team car duties not that we were much help i don't think
1: Good morning from stage four of Lizzie's recon at the women's tour. The time has just clicked over to 11 o'clock, which means the riders will be leaving Shoebury Ness as I speak. I've been out on the course for an hour now, and I'm just over 30 kilometers ahead of them. That's not going to be enough to give me a buffer today. So I'm going to have to take a few sneaky shortcuts. I've been fighting my way along the river Crouch Estuary up to Battlesbridge. Now I'm heading back east again, over towards the Dengue Marshes, where the riders will be doing a lap of the Dengue Peninsula for heading back into Battlesbridge and then back down to Southend on sea for what's billed to be a bunch sprint. But what's going to happen today? Well, the landscape is really wide open. If I were the race organizer, I would be thinking this is a perfect opportunity for crosswinds with the wind coming off the sea. Now, although I can feel the wind today, and you can probably hear it as I go down a very slight downhill, it's not enough to split the bunch today. I'm just riding through Burnham on Crouch now where we've got the first sprint point of the day at 50 kilometers. It's a totally uncomplicated run into the sprint, just one straight road. But the organizers have placed the sprint point right outside of high school, so the riders are going to be guaranteed a wall of noise. Now. This is where I was actually going to have my own little sprint and deviation today. I was planning to get the foot ferry over from Wallsea to Burnham on Crouch and cut off about 30 kilometers of the route. My plans were shipwrecked and washed ashore this morning when I found out that the route only ran in the summer. So I'm heading off to race around the Dengue marshes now and try and find another shortcut to get ahead of the riders. I'm just over halfway and I've just been caught but not by the Peloton, by the Watford Peloton.
3: (laughs) This is your team support vehicle, Lizzie, your, uh, your team car.
1: Well, I don't know where my Mars bars and hot drinks are. (laughs) You're not doing a very good job, I have to say. Nobody's cleaned my bike in the first four days either. But anyway, there we are. They caught me as I was just pondering what the Essex Barn was called. And I think we've decided that it is just called the Essex Barn. I'm just at the most northern point of the course where we're looking over the, the Blackwater Estuary. Is that what it's called, Lionel?
3: That is Blackwater there. Yeah, And we're kind of stuck, aren't we, between Blackwater and the River Crouch. And there's no bridge across. That's why the route does that big loop round and then this circuit up here and then back down to the southern part south south end I'm calling it this is north
1: and And then tomorrow that's why we're going to be on the other side of Blackwater because we can't really get there today so any of you listeners can help us those steep-sided barns in Essex what are they called are they called the Essex barns one thing that hasn't changed all day is the speed of the wind but I have noticed the impact of the direction. For the first half of the course, the riders were facing a tailwind and cross tailwind, and it really helps push you along. And you turn around at the halfway point, come back towards south end, and you've just got a headwind and cross headwind the whole time. Now, for a rider like me out on my own, you really feel that, and that's going to have an impact on any riders looking to get to, to get ahead of the race in the second half. Just come up Hambro Hill the one and only QM of the day. And you know what? It's a little kicker. It's a bit steeper than I thought it was gonna be after a day of flat riding. And that could really catch the riders out. I'm actually a little bit further ahead of the riders than I thought I might be. They're at 26 kilometers to go and I'm at 12. So I'm gonna race them to the finish now. And yeah, I think this climb could really string things out. I'm inside five kilometers to go now. (laughs) Oh, this is amazing. The roads are fully closed here. Oh, it's really giving me goose pimples. What an incredible atmosphere. 5K to go. People are lining the streets. Fully closed roads and it feels like I'm off the front of the race. This, ah, oh, this feeling. This is why I do it and this is why I love cycling. What an incredible five kilometers. I've had the smile glued to my face. I'm now inside 200 meters to go on the final finishing straight, the crowd's building up, the riders are about to arrive. There's a technical finish. Between two and one kilometres to go, the road goes steeply downhill, and then you turn left onto the seafront for a 1.2 kilometre drag race into the finish. You can see the finish from a really, really long way out, so it's going to be a seriously tough sprint, and it's going to be a waiting game to see who can get to the line and time it perfectly. The other riders come three hundred metres to go, then charging to the
3: line. on the front. Of me.
4: Shoot! Uh, Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's said Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, and my name is Richard Moore. And I apologise to Lizzie, Rose, Lionel, and all you listeners for interrupting another terrific episode from the Women's Tour. But I do have to tell you. That it sponsored by Hammerhead. Now, I've bored everyone else in the podcast with my cycling exploits since I fell in love with the bike again about a year and a bit ago. But one reason for me getting more enjoyment from riding was the, the very late discovery of technology that I have found really enhances the experience. I'm talking mainly cycling computers. And in my hands now, fresh from its box, I have what might be the ultimate in onboard cycling computers the Hammerhead Karoo 2 that's me tapping the screen I don't know why quite apart from anything else what a handsome piece of kit it is but I've been navigating my way around it because I've heard so much about this and I can't wait to try it out on the bike tomorrow what is it it's a next generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars See your data clearly with a high-res, full-colour, smartphone-like screen. And the size of the screen and clarity of display really does stand out. The touchscreen display is beautiful and responsive and gives you on-the-go flexibility. It's even water and scratch resistant. karu 2's advanced and industry-leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities set it apart from other GPS options. So you can explore with confidence, seamlessly import routes from Strava, Komoot and more, and routing, rerouting, or pin drop routing are all available with turn by turn directions and upcoming elevation changes. Hammerhead's new exclusive Climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. Climber was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers and even earned Israel startup nation rider Mike Wood sometime in the polka dot jersey of King of the Mountains at the Tour de France. Tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the fully loaded, climber-equipped Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companion, including Chris Froome, Flora Duffy, Magalie Rochette and Justin Williams. Hammerhead athletes keep on course and stay aware of upcoming elevation changes with their Karoo 2 devices. I can't wait to try mine and report back on how I get on with it. And for a limited time, our listeners can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Visit hammerheadio Right now, and use the promo code cycle at the checkout to get yours. That's a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2 when you go to hammerhead.io and use the promo code cycle for only a limited time. Don't forget to use that special promo code because it supports the cycling podcast. That's hammerhead.io, promo code cycle, and get your Karoo 2 and a free heart rate monitor.
2: Well, let's talk about the stage then, shall we? I mean, I think uh, lots of people could have predicted Lorena Vibas uh, a few weeks ago uh, winning this stage, but perhaps not seeing her form earlier in the week, Lizzie.
1: It looks like she had a pretty rough time at Parry Bay. I remember watching on the coverage, her slipping and sliding, having a couple, couple of falls. And you just don't know how that's going to affect somebody. It depends where you land. And of course, you you can't then you know you you can't get your body back into shape because you're getting straight into a coach you're driving over to the uk and you just stiffen up and you get worse so then when you do get back on the bike on the monday you know i wouldn't be surprised if you just felt terrible and we saw her not have a good performance on monday so we kind of thought oh what's going on there but then already she won the bunch sprint behind the small group on the second day and clearly now she's back she's back on fire so we're going to be watching her on the last two stages because dsm are going to want to keep it together for a bunch of sprint because they know now that she's probably the best sprinter in this bunch
2: no it's funny isn't it because this season i think team dsm have been pretty quiet actually i mean most of their wins have come from lorena vibus and and when she hasn't performed they haven't really come away with anything from most races Uh, What do you think it is that has kind of changed that they've got? They've now got Juliette LeBou in second place on GC. They've also got this win, Lorena Vibas and possibly more opportunities to come this week.
1: Well, of course, another one of their really strong riders is Corinne Rivera. And, you know, Corinne is a rider that you can often count on to be there in the finals, but she's had a really tough You know season for personal reasons and then finally when things got going and you know things settled down for her and they got going she had a win at the giro d'italia and she had a really cracking olympics and again she didn't get the results she wanted at world championships but she's been on the way up so perhaps some of the reason that they've not had you know a really hot season is because some of their leaders you know haven't really been able to to perform at their best for reasons outside of cycling or
2: well, corinne rivera's actually got married yesterday i think i saw yeah well so she was a notable
1: absentee because she was busy getting married so yeah.
2: congratulations to her and her new husband <laughs> so that's lovely but you you talked to uh, albert Timmer, the ds uh, lionel about their kind of strategy uh, for this race shall we take a listen
5: actually almost everything worked like we planned uh, we knew up front that it was not a stage for GC. If they are still coming, probably not. But uh, yeah, we still want to defend our second spot in the GC, of course. Yeah, we need to take seconds. That's what we did today. In all uh, bony seconds, we, uh, uh, we were present and we, we took some seconds away. Although Amy uh, took some seconds in the, in the second sprint. And uh, the second was uh, to win the stage. And that worked out really well. We were already uh, two days ago, we were close with, uh, with Fiverr and then yeah, it was uh, 150 meters too long, but today we, uh, we managed the statesman, so really happy with it. Like a minute to, to close on, uh, on two sort of less flatter days is it's quite difficult. We're always looking for opportunities to, to do it, uh, but for now we, uh, we are happy with the second place of, uh, of Juliet. But if the opportunity is there, we will for sure try it. And otherwise we, will, uh, we still have Lorena, of course, who proven today that she's still one of the fastest. And uh, we will make use of that also the coming days.
3: Given that Demi Vollering is a minute and nine seconds ahead of Juliet Labou in the overall standings, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch to think that Team DSM could uh, win the race overall. But given what they could achieve today, they ticked every box, didn't they? Because Leah Kirchman's moved up, OK, only one place from seventh to sixth. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, she might sneak up another place or two, perhaps if she carries on like that for another two days. Labou's position in second place is, um, you know, not a done deal, but 10 seconds ahead of Clara Capone. And to take the stage win as well. I mean, a good day's work for them, really, given that, uh, where, as you say, Rose, when you look at the, the results they've had this season, certainly I think the first 10 of their 15 wins this season all came from uh, Lore- Lorena Vibus, So, yeah, a good day at the office.
2: Yeah, you mentioned there, Lionel, Leah Kirchman, um, going for the kind of intermediate sprints, trying to get those bonus seconds wherever possible um, and it was kind of indicative of the of the race that it it was it, it looks on the outside to be quite a straight easy, flat r-
1: stage um, with a bunch sprint at the end, but it was actually quite hectic. It is quite funny when, you know, I was listening to you two talk about the stage and you said, well, we don't really think much happened. And I said, well, I've been talking to the riders and they all said it was crazy. Lizzie, I sat in traffic for most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to get well, I'm from, sorry, race. Trying to get back from the the Dengue Peninsula to something. <laughs> but it's one of those really interesting things that, that people outside the race and people who are inside the race have quite a different perspective on on what a easy day actually looks like because you know the first part of this section on let's call it the south south end loop it was constantly left right left right all 90 degree turns all day and so you can't stop you focusing and concentrating for a second and people are constantly trying to get away so who's in that move which team's it is it like do I go does one of my teammates go so you are just constantly got to be on the ball and although if you're in the wheels you can get quite an easy time it can also be really really stressful because if you're not in that move then you're going to have a hell of a job chasing it back so you've just got to be on the ball all day and especially when you know that it's going to be a crazy final there's a downhill run to the seaside then there's an absolute hectic you know sprint down to the (laughs) along the finish line along the seaside and they didn't know if the wind was going to pick up. That was another factor. It was really clear from the terrain that the wind could have been a huge issue. And we've seen every day, every other day that throughout the day, the wind has got stronger and stronger. Mm. So if you're not at the front when the wind does pick up, well, you're stuffed. Well, we did uh, hear from... Well, you spoke to, Lizzie, one of the
2: frustrated uh, chasers of the day, uh, Anna Christian of drops le who was trying to chase down um, Lourdes Oyabide... Um, who was the only only rider? Well, Janneke Ensing got a bit of time, but you know she was the only rider who got got any kind of advantage over the peloton. So let's uh, hear what she said to you, Lizzie.
1: Oh, your Bida was in front of you and you were hoping to get across to her but what actually happened? Um, yeah, so we've been quite keen for a breakaway
6: most days here obviously being a British team and we want to take our opportunities where we can we've got Joss here for G Z and she's obviously held a good position in the top 10 there but we were going to take other opportunities too so we, I kind of seen it, it was at halfway through the stage maybe the movie star girl had got up the road so I thought it was quite good to jump across to her but never quite made the bridge and we kind of just hovered out the front for quite a while and then, um, yeah inevitably got caught because I think a brunch sprint was on the cards for most teams.
1: Could you see her just dangling there in front of you and couldn't get across to her? Uh, I could see the because yeah it was so flat
6: today wasn't it and quite open so I could actually see the car in front for quite a while. And I was kinda hoping that maybe she'd get
1: radio to wait but she she didn't but oh <laughs> so frustrating you know that just with two of you it would be so yeah, much stronger. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know what we what we call that in Belgium? What do you call a it? A shot. Yeah. Like a shospotat yeah
2: <laughs> Well, that was Anna Christian. The chouche Um mm. Anyone want to explain any knowledge of what a shush patate is? Well, it
3: sounds very like the French phrase chasse patat, the potato chase, which is uh, I think their version of a wild goose chase, um, because obviously the
2: potatoes are easy to chase, aren't they?
3: Yeah, but it's pointless, fruitless. You get a potato
2: <laughs> at the end of it, Lionel. What's <laughs> wrong with you? What do you mean?
3: Well, the potato's not going anywhere, is it?
2: Well, apart from if you eat it, I don't
3: know. A chasse patat is when you're stuck between the break and the bunch and you're making no headway whatsoever, but you're not being caught either. So you're just stuck in no man's land. Francois explained this on our Tour de France coverage before. Um, All that happens to me is I start thinking about potato (laughs) dauphinoise with uh, some lovely, you know, rich, creamy sauce and uh, onion and garlic.
1: I'm thinking about roasted geese.
3: <laughs> oh, no, we a got wild, wild, goose. A wild goose chase with <laughs> roasted potatoes it's mm. on the side.
1: <laughs> um, well, we should say
2: that that little interruption actually came from Maya Ovanta-Halouf, who you also spoke to, Lizzie, and she's had some
1: great results just this week. She had a great week. Yeah, she's just got back from Piari Bay, where she came thirteenth, and. You may not think that 13th is the most incredible result, but actually, if you watch that race, the way she performed there was really incredible. And then she's come straight over here. That was her real target race for the season, and the team really set her up for that and said, this is your race, focus on this, do everything you can. And she'd always planned to come across to this race. And they'd said to her, don't worry about the first few days, take that time to rest, and we focus on the last three days. So she's had that hard race, she's had that time to rest, and now she's really coming into good form using that fitness that she's got from Paris-Roubaix on, on Saturday. Sorry. And clearly she's firing on all cylinders, and she's, you know, fifth is a really incredible result against this field. And now she's just getting the belief that she can do it. And that's another really powerful thing. This is For me, this is amazing. I've never had uh, such a close result in a World Tour race, so for me this is great. And I'm, of course, always hoping to do better and better, so we'll see you for the days to come. I think uh, the courses that are coming up really suit me. It's more flat, it's more windy, so uh, I love that kind of stuff, so yeah, really excited.
2: Well, we had that sprint finish, but that wasn't the only drama um, that we actually had, because we've heard from, well, a few riders, possibly a little bit... Um, conflicting uh, one crash possibly a, a few crashes uh, and one of the people that was caught up in that was Abby Smith uh, of Team Tibco and you spoke to her Lizzie uh, at the finish line again <laughs> um, obviously uh, lost she obviously lost a little bit of her uh, kit
1: yeah she'd lost a little bit of her derriere kit
2: a bit of a dignity perhaps, yeah dare we say. <laughs> But, yeah, let's uh, let's hear um, what she had to say about that crash on the run-in. Someone just cut me up on the corner and, um, yeah, I, I, I came down and I've
1: ripped a nice hole. Oh, and in, it looks like a couple MSK of you have got war wounds. Uh, yeah, two of us down today, 25 seconds down, but, I mean, I... And I that was outside 3k to go, was it? Six ish. So they're all starting their lead outs, all starting to wind it up. And I'm trying to chase on while they're going full gas and I'm going full gas and I'm swinging and my bum hurts and <laughs> everything hurts. <laughs> Your bum hurts because <laughs> of the crash or because of the racing? Or both. More on my left where I crashed. But yeah, um, yeah that's going to be a difficult one.
0: The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
2: Well, thank you very much once again to Science in Sport uh, for supporting the cycling podcast, allowing us to be here in—I would say—sunny South End, not sunny South End, kind of slightly overcast South End. Uh, quite
3: warm today, though, hasn't it? Hasn't been cold. Oh no, cold. yeah,
2: warm and grey South End. The warm and grey South End. But yes, thank you very much to Science in Sport uh, for keeping us on the road. Uh, if you want to get twenty-five percent off uh, Science and Sport products, then go to scienceinsport.com slash are we going to get another chant out of him
3: No no more chanting um I am setting up the Science in Sport Ultras a sort of <laughs> you know football <laughs> fan style group who will go around the country chanting the discount code which is SISCP25
2: I like that I like that idea the, the you know the shirtless um rattles flares Yeah brilliant and they can you know they they can be fueled through that with the Science in Sport products it work, makes perfect sense doesn't it Um, but but anyway I mean I'm just going into fantasy land there but uh, Lionel now you've been uh, looking to speak to Mick Bennett the race director all week Uh, I know that There was a big disappointment just in the, I think it was coming the days almost, or maybe a week week before. A week before um, the race, um, the women's tour had said that they were going to have live stream or live pictures or live coverage at least uh, of the uh, women's tour. And then they had to say a week before they put out a press release saying that wasn't going to happen. They still have the highlights program. Um, but uh, obviously a lot of people disappointed by that and uh, Lina, you spoke to uh, Mick Bennett the race director uh, about that
3: Yeah, I just wanted to ask Mick first of all, why there was no TV coverage um, or live streaming coverage of the women's tour when we'd been led to believe that there would be because it is a requirement of world tour status
7: Yeah, uh, it, at the end of the day I can't embellish it it's commercial reality and we had... We'd signed a contract to do live streaming, and that was in January of this year. So when we applied last year, I'll get my dates right, when we applied last year, because you apply in the March of the previous year to do live in one of the boxes you have to tick is, will it have live TV? And we signed this agreement to do it. Um, And because you don't, in business terms, you don't sign something in the hope that you're not going to get it. You sign it in the hope that you will get it. And the financial reality is that uh, we only had a sponsor for this event, it was actually four weeks before. And we also had at the same time, which we've got and has been, um, will stand until 2025, a contract with ITV4 for the Highlights programme. And to do a live streaming, I'll come back to that in a minute, the cost to do that is as much as doing a highlights programme that we already had an existing contract to do until 2025. You can't do both. Who and picks up the cost of this, though? Is it the broadcaster
3: or is it the race organiser?
7: And we do. It, we pay for the everything. Um, but our highlights programme and the stats and the figures on that, I think I explained to you when we sat on a park bench together in Weybridge, the, the figures we've got for that, And the guaranteed exposure that it gets far outweighs what a live streaming programme, we couldn't afford to do it live televisually, but live streaming we could do. But then, if we do live streaming, there's no guarantee that you're going to have an unbuffered clear signal. And we did the research on that as well. And to get that is nigh on impossible where the
3: race goes people will ask why when the Tour of Britain had live from start to finish which was fantastic the same can't be done for the women's tour well the same
7: can be done but the commercial realities are we, we just did not have the money to do it
3: what are we talking? Because I've spoken to people who work in TV production, and the figures can be quite eye-watering. But from your point of view, what can you tell me about what does a typical day of live bike race coverage cost in the UK to get it onto actual television?
7: To get it onto TV, we're talking about probably uh, for a six-day, nothing short of two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand to live stream it uh, for. I would say you're talking about 150,000 for a six day event, not an eight day for a six day event. And it's almost equivalent to a live televising it. It's almost, it's, it's slightly more to televise it, but it's about the same to stream it.
3: Is there no way you can could have leveraged the fact that you did have live for the Tour of Britain to basically include the women's tour in the same package and, and get both races on live?
7: That is possible, providing you've got the margins to do that. But as I said earlier, it's the commercial reality is we just didn't have it. We can't say, oh, let's take it off the prize money for the men and put it into live TV. That's a possibility, but then the minimum... The men's is the minimum prize money. The women's is not the minimum prize money. It's plus about ten, eleven thousand pounds. So it's you can't you can't do that. It's not that we want to do this live. Let me be clear to the listener. It's, it's our, we definitely want to do this live. We signed an agreement to do it live. It turned out at the end of the day commercially we couldn't do it because we just did not have the money to do it.
3: So it's a case of getting the race on ensuring it continues after the pandemic i don't want to you know just use the pandemic as an excuse but you're in an unfamiliar slot here aren't you in early october as it is um but what you know the stakeholders pay for this as well and there were stakeholders that
7: couldn't do it at the end of the day and in june you couldn't run a, a massive sporting event like like this so We're were definitely between a rock and a hard place because you can't, you go to other stakeholders uh, financially uh, and ask them to support the tour, but they can't. They want to, but they can't. So the money is diminished all the way. You've got it from whichever way you turn. You know, a commercial partner isn't going to sign for what you would like that close to the start of the event when there's still no
3: guarantee that you're going to run it. But with the new title sponsorship from AJ Bell, does it strengthen your position going forward for next year? And what can you say about the possibility of live TV coverage of this event next season? Well, we've applied
7: for uh, World Tour status again, which you do, we did back in March of this year, uh, although we were still in, in the throes of this pandemic. And uh, AJ Bell have only signed for one year. So for them, it's a suck it and see, see what they got out of it. So um, if in the unlikely case that they don't renew, we're back to square one again with
3: it. Lastly, I mean, I take your point about the men's prize money being the minimum for the level of event and the women's prize money being higher, but the overall perception is that the, the, the women are kind of getting the raw end of the deal overall by not having the opportunity to watch the race live.
7: Um, well, it wouldn't be live. It would be live-streamed. So, you know, and the event is on. So we were faced with the reality do we not put the event on or we put it on without live TV? So what would the public like? Judging by the amount of attendance we've had, certainly yesterday in the time trial, the public want to see this live, not live televised or live streamed.
3: Yeah, I take that point. The crowds yesterday were fantastic, and and anyone watching would uh, take that as a big positive. I take your point about the live streaming, because live streaming online with, I guess, 4G technology can be frustrating. Um, If that drops out, you're in for more flack, I guess. But is there no chance of, um, you know, persuading ITV to put the race on on ITV4 as live. Don't
7: you think we're doing that? I guess you are. Of course we're doing that. Of course we're doing that. We are desperately trying to do this. And we'd love uh, a, a contract with ITV to do it live. Absolutely love it. And we'd relish it. And then we need the funding to produce the footage.
3: So it's chicken and egg, really. Because I guess your business suffers from not having it on television live. If it's on television live, the profile's higher, more eyeballs get to see it, more return for the title sponsor and, and the team sponsors and everything, and everything continues to grow and well, go in the right direction.
7: Well, Lionel, that's not necessarily the case. Because the the figures for our Highlights programme, which go out globally, is incredible. I don't know, because we haven't done it yet, but you put a live streaming programme together for 45 minutes is the, is the UCI regulator, 45 minutes of a four hour stage, when probably part of that signal doesn't buffer, so you lose the pictures, the viewing figures from that would not stack up against what we get from the highlights programme, and um, I can't quote you those figures now, I should, should have had those stats with me, but you can get those, they are available, and it's amazing. Uh, our highlights program and I watched the highlights the other day and I thought the consolidating all the moves and the action when it's an attritional race from the back it was fantastic I thought they did a great job of producing the program at the end of the day for the highlights
3: well in trying to see all sides of this particular issue I've spun myself round and round until I'm dizzy Lizzie um I know understandably you and many other people were um Uh, very frustrated to put it mildly that people can't watch the race as it's unfolding and just purely selfishly while we're here on the race it would make our jobs a lot easier to be able to see what is happening in the race we are relying on snippets from race radio pro cycling stats are um, taking all of the information that's on race radio and uh, putting it into their usual rolling coverage so it is possible to piece together and of course we've been out on the course and sharing information from well rose you got stuck in some traffic but we we did all manage to see the race today Um, and then of course catching up with the riders uh, it does take me back to the early days of my uh, cycling journalism career, covering British domestic races, the premier calendar, that sort of thing, where, of course, there wasn't television coverage and you had to rely on the riders telling you um, how far they attacked from the finish. And they always exaggerate, of course, and uh, the time gaps are always exaggerated. And, uh, and uh, the, the race reports that appeared in the magazines in those days, perhaps... Um, were almost works of fiction because you could only go on what the riders told you but we are in the 21st century now and this is a world-class sporting event and whilst there are highlights in the evening um, not being able to see it live does um, rob people of being able to invest in the race in the same way that they would in the equivalent men's race but Lizzie I mean you've listened to what Mick Bennett had to say what are your thoughts now and have they changed at all since uh, we first spoke about this
1: i think the, the main thing to say before i say anything is it's so much more complicated than what i understand and i'm not a broadcaster i'm a rider and i'm sure there are so many more things that mick can't tell us that maybe we'll never know about the commercial side of it but what i do see is that i could watch the men's races for four or five hours live from flag to finish on the tv i could turn on itv4 and i could watch it without paying a subscription to you know a specific sports channel and i could watch that whole thing for eight days and it was fantastic it was amazing there were so many people you know my neighbors who they're not Cycling fans, only really because they know me and they wouldn't have been watching it usually, but it was there, it was free, it was on TV. So people got drawn in. And then once they're drawn in for the first day, they're there. And then by the end of the eighth day, suddenly they're cycling fans. And that's what women's cycling really needs. So having been able to watch that live and then believing that we would be able to watch the women's tour live, you know, I was really excited for that. And then one week before to have this shattering disappointment. And I just felt, well, why? Uh, From my point of view, when you go into something, when you say, okay, this, this is our race. We have the same sponsors for the men's race and the women's race for all of the jerseys. So when you go into a contract, surely you say, this is the money that we need to provide live TV for our races. Not, this is the money we need to provide live TV for the men's race. And then the women's race is the the bit on the side. Like I say, I know it's more complicated than that and I don't understand. But I don't understand why you wouldn't ever approach a sponsor and say, this is what we need for everything. And I'm sorry, sponsor, but if you're not going to support our women's race financially, then you can't be a sponsor. And yeah, I know they're really desperate for sponsors because it's been a really difficult year and a half. But, you know, we, we've got to have equality. We, we just have to have equality. You know, yeah, it's good to have equal prize money, but it's so much more important to have live coverage because, yeah, we've, we've, got to, we've got to bring the fans in. We've got to take women's cycling to the masses. And how can we expect people to come to women's cycling if we don't take it to them first I think it's very uh, it is a difficult
2: one and and, and it is it is a very complex issue I mean I know you know I myself uh, run a small like a a tiny show called The Bunny Hop, which is a women's cycling show that goes out monthly and you know we look for sponsors you know you can't say to a sponsor you have to give us this amount or it's just no go otherwise you know the show that you know that we make wouldn't happen it just it wouldn't get made and then you know is that
1: uh, is that worse for women cycling? You know, I guess what I'm saying is not not that you have to give us a certain amount, but if you're going, you know, you don't go into it as this is what we need for the men's race. It's just this is what we need, and I kind of feel now that because we found out so late, or oh, did they spend too much on the men's race and there's not enough for the women's race? Like that, that might be completely wrong. I don't know, but it it kind of feels like that because we've had eight days of four or five hours of coverage and we've only got six days. And if you had an hour and a half of coverage for those six days, firstly that's seventy-five percent of the amount of days in the first place, so presumably seventy five percent of the amount of the overall cost. And then, you know, you you don't really need flag to finish coverage. It would be nice, but we don't need it. So I know it's not as easy as saying, OK, only provide three hours of the men's race and then provide three hours for the women because, of course, you've already got the plane there and those things. But but surely there's a way of balancing those financial costs to, to provide something for the women and, and not flag to finish coverage for eight days of the
3: men? I think the interesting thing, listening to Mick talk and picking up on some of the things he was saying, was he was talking about the arrangement was for live streaming coverage rather than live television coverage. It doesn't feel like that was actually an option. And that that's relying on a broadcast are coming forward and saying that they want to cover the race and that they will find the airtime for it, um, so that's that's one thing, and so that's one battle. And, and Mick did say, you know, of course they're having conversation with ITV to to get the race on, um, so. I do you know the, the figures are eye-watering aren't they Th- potentially 300,000 pounds for the cost of getting mm. a race a six-day race live on television and 130,000 pounds to stream it on the internet and we all know well we've been driving around um and our 4 and 5G coverage has not been I mean I haven't got 5G our 4G coverage has been really patchy particularly in the countryside um I can see why they wouldn't choose to spend 130,000 pounds that they'd perhaps don't have on an unreliable streaming service that would would disappoint more people than it would delight um it's such a it's, i mean I, I i went into my conversation with mick with some preconceived ideas and as ever the answers aren't necessarily um you know at the tips of his fingers but i don't think it's for want of trying i mean his business is clearly hit if this the one of the flagship events is not live on television um it was interesting to him say that the aj bell sponsorship is for this year and then they'll see how it goes hopefully that could be extended and i completely agree with you lizzie that um that in the conversations in you know normal times it would be very um easy to say right this is what you're sponsoring this comes as a package it isn't the men's tour of britain oh and uh, optional on the women's tour they come as a package um but again without using the pandemic as an excuse um just seeing how the prize money on the women's tour has dropped um, as a result of the commercial pressures that the organisers are under, is instructive, I think. And again, in my simplistic view, I thought, well, why not take some of the money away from the men's race and allocate it to the women's race? And as Mick pointed out, the men's race prize fund is already at the minimum for the level of the uh, yeah. uh, in the UCI calendar that the Tour of Britain is, whereas the women's prize money is higher than the min- minimum required by the UCI. So uh, it's awful when I kind of think about this, um, because... I, people have said you know why should we have to be patient why should we have to wait and I I've, I have enormous um, you know I basically agree with that um, point of view but unless somebody's going to help write the checks um, mm. and helping write writing the checks is uh, well that's the most important bit in, in getting the races on
1: I have to say I mean I really do sympathise with Mick Bennett and I want to make it clear that you know I really don't understand all the processes and, and from what you're saying Lionel you know perhaps somebody needs to have a um, um i don't know a, a stricter or a harsher conversation with ITV4 and say hold on a second why why aren't you wanting to do everything that you can to put this women's show on why are you hosting this men's show and not trying to find a way to support this race because you really should be i think
2: i think the difficult thing is also that Uh, is understanding the dynamics of how broadcasters and TV production and production companies and race organisers and you know what the dynamic is between those things because um, I know the Tour of Croatia this was a few years ago uh, now but I'm aware that Uh, the Tour of Croatia, which had um, Mark Cavendish at a, you know, it was quite a a high-profile race. Um, Even they, the race organisers, were paying for the production of everything, paying the production company to produce everything. But then they also, for their slot on Eurosport, they then also had to pay a lot of money in order to um, even be placed on Eurosport. So I think a lot of the time people think broadcasters pay the race organisers and then the race organisers pay a production company and it's all very simple but it isn't. It's, it's incredibly complex. My, um, my view on it is as well when you see the standard of the live images that you get from some of the other races. I know the uh, Giro Donne um, oh. this year had live images, live streaming. Well, it was and, a joke. It well, was exactly. just a static
1: camera on the finish line and we had some some on and off moving pictures from three kilometers to the line but that until the I mean that's line. exactly the kind of um non
2: guaranteed streaming that Mick Bennett was talking about the satellite dropping out um not having the four g the bandwidth in order to show the images that's what they that's what the Giro Dono had and and it was frustrating to see this stage um and see it with thirteen k to go and then not see anything until uh, 7k to go and Anna van der Breggen has already got two minutes advantage. It's frustrating to to watch a bike race like that. And for me, I think, you know, um, how valuable, you know, how much value does that bring to the women's peloton? How much does that make them look like professional, the professional athletes that they are? Um, or And how much does it make them look amateurish? How much is it actually off-putting to watch... A poorly made um, stream so you know I kind of see that Uh, I can understand that the women's tour don't want to do anything by halves and if they're going to do it then they want it to be um, a seamless uh, and and, you know as as good-looking as the um, highlights they already produce which involves Uh, you know many many uh, camera operators many many motos it involves helicoptering footage down to London to be edited and turned around quickly I mean the processes are are huge and I can kind of understand um, that they they don't want to take that step unless it's it's guaranteed to look good because I mean I personally think it looks so it makes the
1: race look worse if it's badly done I understand that and at the end of the day i want this race to stay more than anyone else or as much as anyone else this is one of the most favorite my most favorite races i've been to it is exceptionally well organized the riders always say this is the best race we go to in terms of organization in terms of hotels even things like food every other hotel you get overcooked pasta and tomato soup here you get a good variety of interesting food and it's so important having good food good beds to sleep in well-organized transfers well-organized race set up and you know the organizers are doing everything right there and we love the atmosphere this race brings they bring the crowds they bring the excitement but the one thing that we're lacking is the coverage and somehow we need to work out a way between all the stakeholders ha- how to fix it
3: yeah, I mean, having been at the Tour of Britain as well, in every other respect, the races are basically the same, other than you could watch the Tour of Britain on your phone um, as the stages were unfolding. One thing that I do gather, you know, I, I sympathise with the organisers of the Women's Tour because they have asked the UCI multiple times to extend the race to eight days. They wanted to go to eight days and they've been knocked back and ASO come along and organise the uh, Women's Tour to France and get eight days um, the first time. That it's run now I'm I w- not in a million years saying well the Tour de France should only be six days I think it should be eight days ten days um, as, as long as they uh, as long as they want really but um, yeah I think Mick it's not for want of trying on some of these aspects and as, as he said um, you know he it's it's in his interest for the race to be on and available for the biggest number of people to watch as well and i think we probably should sort of bear that in mind as well and um you know focus on the positives which is that the race is fantastic and the crowds today lizzie as we heard in your recon package were fantastic particularly the school kids out um you know finishing the stages at, at the time of day when schools are finishing is a stroke of genius really
2: well, yeah there was plenty of uh, crowds on the way into South End wasn't it all the school kids lined up and y- you can tell us a bit more about South End line Well yeah a little you? bit
3: of South End flavor because we are here at Rossi's the ice cream parlor of course and just behind us we can't quite see it but the pier stretches out 1.3 miles into the sea it's the longest pleasure pier pleasure pier leisure pier in the world which uh, leads me to think that perhaps there's some kind of I don't know um industrial pier i don't somewhere that might be longer
2: pleasuring or leisuring on it indeed
3: and there's a little train that goes out on it as well and at the very end of the pier is a little bistro where if you watch the channel 4 program hosted by the tv chef jamie oliver and his friend jimmy doherty i think they're related actually but uh, they film the friday night feast in that bistro and the Oliver family also have a little cafe kiosk just on the seafront there. Um, but I bumped into a friend of the cycling podcast a little bit earlier and he told me a bit more about South End.
8: Uh, Kevin Brooklyn I'm from South End. And what can you tell me about South End? Uh, it's a good Ross- old seaside town. Rossi uh, Ice Cream. Rossy Ice Cream. Rossy Ice Cream. Yeah that's what we're having now after the finish. Uh, yeah so it's a good old British seaside town really, plenty to do, uh, quite a lot of entertainment. Um, nice roads good cycling scene so yeah
3: and uh, Jamie Oliver's got well I think his family owned a restaurant or a cafe just along the front here is that just right
8: the Right there just up on the right there uh, Oliver's on the beach he's got yeah. a cafe there and they did the uh, the show I can't remember what it was called now but the show on the end of the pier there
3: Jamie and Jimmy's uh, Friday night feast I think it's called isn't it where they get celebrities to cook in, uh, and that's right on the very end of the pier, yeah, is it? it's
8: very end of the pier, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And am I right in thinking that's the longest leisure pier in the world? I'm assuming that the distinction there is because there must be a longer one that's for, I don't know, uh, shipping purposes or something. I don't know.
8: Possibly. As far as I know, it's the longest one, one in the world. So uh, that's a claim to fame from Southend.
3: It is, isn't it? And the football club, nicknamed the Shrimpers, so uh, what shrimp? <laughs> Do we have to talk about the football club at the moment? Because uh, they're... Uh, they're not doing as well as Watford, that's for sure. Well, I, I mean, I do remember coming to Roots Hall on a number of occasions years ago when we were in the same division, but nicknamed the Shrimpers, is that because this is also a hot spot for, what, shrimps, cockles, whelks, that sort of thing?
8: Yes, yeah, quite, um, quite a big seafood uh, production sort of area in Old Lee. There's a lot of cockle sheds there, a lot of boats go out, trawling and, and such, so, yeah, that's probably where their name comes from.
3: Is that something that appeals to you?
8: Not my cup of tea, really. Seafood. <laughs> Lived here my whole life, never eaten it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's not uh, It's not something I'm going to be trying anytime soon either, but fish and chips are good. Roll mops, they're quite, they're quite popular as well. Yeah, this is a uh, like a pickled fish with onions in the middle, I think. But, uh, yeah, I don't eat any of it.
3: And finally, what you said about the cycling scene, uh, big cycling club, any kind of... Uh you know there must be a is it south in wheelers yeah, am I right? south
8: Southend wheelers are quite a big club in the area and there's essex roads as well which is not too far away um but outside of the club scene there's quite a lot of uh, recreational cyclists sort of um a lot of people going out in big groups and uh, yeah it's quite quite a vibrant scene here at the moment all my
3: segments would have been taken today is that right so where the race went today out into dengue marshes it? um and all of that that's i mean it looks like appealing cycling country to me but i guess when the wind's up makes it quite hard it's a bit too flat, uh, and that's the whole problem with Essex. There's not really uh, many
7: sort of uh, big climbs. So, uh, But out that way, yeah, you get the crosswind and all oh, havoc can break loose.
3: Be out on Sunday
7: then?
8: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we'll be out on Sunday for our usual cafe ride.
3: And we had to find out a little bit more about Rossi's famous South End ice cream. So I asked someone who was serving the ice creams uh, behind the counter this afternoon. So why is Rossi's so famous?
6: Everyone that comes down to End either for a day trip, everyone knows Rossi's ice cream.
3: What's so good about it?
6: Just the taste, it never changes or nothing. Like, it's always been the original ice cream.
3: And the company, well, the... the um, yeah, the company was founded by an uh, Italian family yeah, who moved Italian to South
6: End. Yep, it was an Italian family and they had it for... since 1932. And then the boss that owns it now, Alan Brandash, um, has had it for 22 years. I'm pretty sure it's 22 years.
3: And has it always been on this spot on the seafront?
6: Um, see, I heard things it was on the opposite side. I'm not too wow. sure if it's true because I wasn't about then. Right. I mean, I've heard that it was over the other side, like when it first started.
3: And now, what are the most... The three most popular flavours when people come for a Rossi's flavours ice cream
6: is, I would say cookies and cream uh, salty caramel and the vanilla rice cream the, the classic the that classic we make, that we make here yeah definitely
3: and uh, has it been a busy summer with uh, restrictions lifting because of Covid It's
6: been very busy this summer actually it's, be, it's been enjoyable it's been nice to get back to a bit of normality
3: and the finish line was literally well 50 metres away
6: literally. And yeah, it was nice to see actually, nice to have a bit of something in South End today.
3: No surprise that vanilla is the favourite flavour. That's my flavour. I oh, go for. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised also. Really? The classic. I
2: didn't think Everyone... anyone bought vanilla because it's just what? too boring. Uh, it's oh, too vanilla. Says isn't
3: it? Simon, the photographer, <gasps> punching <Simon. laughs> the table. <in> anger. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, Having just
1: finished his strawberry whip or
3: mm, whatever. No, it's the classic. Absolute classic. You Surely can't go...
1: plain is the classic because then you just get the flavour of the creamy, milky ice cream. If you have add vanilla, what flavour? The creamy, milky ice creamy flavour. Oh,
3: which what? is vanilla? Yeah, no, that's what
1: no, no. That's all. What? That is added vanilla. You well, need wh- to come to what? Sheffield and visit our cow Molly. Molly. Just Molly, perfect. Oh,
3: I'm absolutely just blown frozen, away Just uh,
1: frozen milk <laughs> straight from the udder. Have you not heard that- of Cornish <laughs> clotted cream ice cream? Yeah, but that's clotted cream flavoured. Because isn't it? you use the cream to create the flavour you don't add a second flavour of vanilla well I, this uh, is
3: this is getting me my in- mind is blown <laughs> with this ice cream revelation I thought vanilla was like the default flavour but I think you can tell the quality of an establishment by how well they do the simplest of things so all this salty caramel with you know cherries and you know mint choc chips and stuff not for me too much over embellishment well this
2: is wetting my appetite massively and, and they actually still get, the, the sun is actually setting but it seems that Rossies are still going they're still uh, serving ice cream it's got a bit of a Jiro kind of vibe in there I thought we were the black and white photos of their owners we've actually got plenty of um, time to discuss ice cream this week don't we because uh, we're still continuing with the coastal theme as we, we take a trip uh, northwards uh, up to we're going to start tomorrow in, in Colchester, Colchester and Colchester head to Clacton and head to Clacton which is also on the sea so we'll be I'm sure there'll be more fish and chips and ice cream to be had there as well
3: late breaking pier news um courtesy of uh, Phil here the, the longest pier in the world is 6.5 kilometers long it's in Ooh. the Gulf of Mexico but it's a commercial pier I guess for ships and stuff I suppose there, there we are. As right, I a little fact
2: check not, not enough facts
3: a, a, a pier <laughs> off, off between the Gulf of Mexico and South End who would have thought it
2: well is there going to be a pier in Clacton don't know will sure. it appear oh <laughs> well on that we're going to have to just finish let's just drop our mics immediately Absolutely. thank you very much Lionel thank you, uh, for Rose. your company today and Lizzie thank you very much thank you Rose